Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. We are in episode 328. Also, it is the last Tuesday of January, So the 30th. So actually, I'm excited. I'm coming back with the top 10 Tuesday, which means these are the top 10 questions that I've gotten from my Coding Corner clients. So thank you to all of them that sent me those questions and then my responses to them. Also, one of them, actually, I'm going to shout out Wendy here. Uh, She gave me one of the responses and I just adjusted it a little bit uh, based on some of the information. So uh, thank you for that. So some of these questions... They, they're, I actually kind of combined a lot because there was some duplication this month. I know everyone is trying to figure out that add-on code 99459 for the additional staff member for a pelvic exam. I know the G2211 complexity add-on that Medicare gave us for 2024. I think that's going to be the bane of my existence. <laughs> that code is the most frequented question code for the month of January. And so I do have some comments on that. It may conflict with some other people that you listen to. And if that's, you know, that's fine. So not, not everybody has all the answers on this. We are hoping for more guidance from Medicare soon. But Medicare has also had several uh, stakeholder calls, some of the MAC carriers, Novitas, First Health, First Choice, and Noridian have had some calls on this. And so I'm just going to give you some feedback and hopefully some food for thought on how you respond to using this code when your physician is saying, put it on everything or, you know, and, and when you don't feel comfortable doing that. So hopefully this will help. So the first one, question number one, and again, we have 10 to get through and there's going to be some long responses. Do we have to name the chaperone or staff member in the patient record when using the add-on pelvic exam code 99459 for 2024? Now, first, remember this is an add-on code. It only has practice expense attached to it in the RVU. So they're saying it's just from that extra expense that you have. And let me just tell you what it says from the Federal Register. So in September 2022, the CPT editorial panel created a new CPT code for reporting a pelvic exam, code add-on 99459. The specialty societies noted that the reimbursement for the work could be captured with the problem-oriented E&M code for the visit. The CPT editorial panel agreed So the new code is a practice expense code only that is just the direct practice expenses associated with performing a pelvic exam in the non-facility setting. So if you're an ACO or you're a facility provider, then this isn't for you. It went on to say CPT code 99459 pelvic exam captures the four minutes of clinical staff time associated with chaperoning a pelvic exam says, we propose the RUC recommended direct PE inputs for CPT code 99459 without refinement. So as a PE only service, again, PE means practice expense, the RUC did not recommend and we did not propose a work RVU for this code. In other words, this means that if your OBGYN practice or primary care practice wants to capture the work of a clinical staff member 
chaperoning a pelvic exam, then you would use the add-on code 99459. A clinical staff member can include employees, leased or contracted staff, who work under the supervision of a physician or other QHP to perform or assist in the performance of a specified professional service as allowed by law, regulation, and facility policy, your non-facility obviously, but who do not individually report that professional service. Clinical staff includes medical assistants, licensed practical nurses, registered nurses, and the like. And that's what's in the CPT manual. So the question is, do we have to name the person or staff member? Well, there's a site out there that I actually belong to, and I appreciate the insight from Betsy Nicoletti on Cody Intel, but I disagree with her take on this. She said nowhere in the rule, and obviously, or not in the rule, nowhere in CPT, and then in the CPT rationale book that comes out when new codes are captured, does it say that it needs a chaperone? But in the federal register for Medicare, it does say that this is a time value code, not that there's time within the code, but how they priced it to include that time for clinical staff and then also um, the materials used. So, you know, if you're, you're using any kind of uh, scope or anything like that. So I thought this was interesting because I'm getting uh, some different questions on this as far as do we have to put the name of the chaperone or anything. What I would recommend is I would recommend that you at least put something in there that reflects that there was an extra person in there if that is what you're using. Because I know some you know, physician-based practices that have uh, female practitioners that provide this service aren't bringing in, an, bringing in an extra staff. So if how will they know if you don't put it in the note? It's up to you to do that or not. And this is my interpretation of that pelvic exam add-on. Um, for palp and pelvic or that preventative, just so that you are not uh, coding it or capturing it incorrectly. So do you have to actually name the person that's in there? I don't think you do, but should you put something in there that reflects a person that you had to have an additional staff member in there? I think that's best practices. Number two, we're supposed to be getting a 5.73% MIPS incentive on our 2024 payment for Medicare I had a cheat sheet, Terry, but I can't find it. How do they come up with these amounts? I can't remember if the sequestration also comes out first and if this is allowed, et cetera. Help me. What do I do? Well, actually, you know, you can Google this. Just say, how do I figure out my MIPS final score? So what the calculation would go is like this. Allowable minus any deductible and any coinsurance times by your MIPS percentage, and that equals your incentive amount. So for an example, if $950 was the allowable, so not what you billed, but what they allowed, minus the 210 deductible the patient still owed, minus $125 at saying coinsurance, then you'd have left over $615. You times that by your 5.73% that you're saying you're supposed to get. And so your incentive adjustment or how much you would get additionally would be $32.24. $32 now, your sequestration comes out of the final check amount. So yes, that's also comes out of that amount. It sucks, but that's unfortunately what they do. What is the code for an arch injection when the provider also did a left cervical carotid injection selectively? So the cervical carotid is considered also the common carotid. And that code is uh, 36222. You also need to know that because you are doing something selectively, when the physician injects non-selectively somewhere still in the aorta, so it doesn't go on purpose into another structure, 
and that includes the arch because that's in the aorta, then that is inclusive of any selective service. So you would not code that in addition to a selective carotid. So the only thing you'd get there would be a 36222. And again, that includes cath placement, imaging, and the arch injection. Number four, when we give a patient a vaccine or immunization during an ENM visit, do we have to put a 25 modifier in the ENM? Yes. Edit suggests that that's what required to get paid for both. Number five, Terry, we keep getting questions from our physicians on the add-on complexity code G2211, of course you do, for primary care and some of our specialties. We are a 500 physician group that our NPPs, nurse practitioners and PAs, can also report this when seeing patients. Do you agree with them that all providers with E&M reporting um, ability in their service licensure can report it? Okay, so here's where we're going to have some controversy, and this is a little bit lengthy, I guess, response to this, but just hear me out on this. My interpretation of G2211, specific to primary care only, is that as long as they are the focal point of all healthcare needs, this code can be billed. In my mind, it would be billed by primary care doctors and certain specialists for their patients who have chronic conditions or a newly diagnosed chronic serious condition that they intend to manage long-term. I'm thinking that advanced practice providers or NPPs as we call them could use it, but in the same way, as long as they are the focal point of all, remember it's all healthcare needs for that patient, but what if they're not the focal point for all healthcare needs and they see patients for acute needs only? Um, a, a client and good friend of mine, and, um, was Arlene with Heritage Health, we were having this email conversation about this because CMS has not answered this specific questions for either of us. I've also instructed clients to be above audit risk and only allow physicians to report this service at this time until we receive further clarification from CMS. And I'm hoping the Q&A comes out soon, but here is something else. As of yesterday morning, I was on a Novitas First Coast Medicare call. I try to listen to most of the MAC calls since I get alerts for them. And of course they said, all providers that have e services and their licensure can report it. So then I asked a question and believe it or not, they got to it. Will you put that writing in guidance or in an MLN bulletin? And the person on the call said, we're not ready to do that until we review these claims to determine it was the right call. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm, I said, um, follow up question quickly. I said, does that mean this is going to be under CERT audit, which you know is statistical once they do data mining and figure out who's billing it. And she said, I, I can't really say that, but I can't say that's not correct. So after my head exploded, I'm going to stick to my original direction for clients. Your clinic can obviously handle this any way you want, but that statement alone to me is inviting risk. I wouldn't go there, but that's me. I also believe that, and again, this is in my professional opinion, and hear me when I say this, the intent of this code and added practice expense for it is to me not for NPPs because they're not in charge of that longitudinal relationship and long-term trust factor with the patient for serious complex chronic conditions. I believe that's the physician. And once you start saying that NPPs are on the same level and not mid-levels, even though we love them, but once you start saying that they're on the same level as the physician, then you are discounting what a physician relationship really is in this scenario. And that's my opinion on that. So for now, until we get more guidance, 
I would say that this is for physicians, MDs or DOs. But if you choose to do something different, then I can't say you're doing it incorrectly. The CodeCast podcast and Top 10 Tuesday is also brought to you today by Select Coder. Get all the decision-making information you need to code in a single online resource. Select Coder offers you the comprehensive coding guidance required to code accurate claims the first time. To learn more about Select Coder, visit codingbooks.com forward slash select coder. So back to our Top 10 Tuesday, number six. Terry, I have a question on code 94640. I'm finding conflicting information. Can you bill this more than once a visit? I found that it says once per encounter, which would mean only once a visit if multiple breathing treatments were performed. So now you can tell what that is. Then if the patient came back later that day, so different visit, different encounter, we could possibly bill 94640 with a 76 modifier. The code book says same date, but it's not clear if it's the same visit, same date, or different encounter. Can you help me? So whenever you need clarification on how many times you can bill a code, you want to pull up the, for Medicare anyway, the CMS MUE file, that's medically unlikely edits, means that it's unlikely this code would be billed more than this many times on a given date. So for 94640, this code came up in my MUE file as four for that date of service. Also codify and AAPC shows the MUE also is four for practitioner services in the non-facility setting. In the facility setting, it has one. And so that's where you're probably getting that. So just look at medically unlikely edits and it'll tell you how many times you can do something. Number seven, if you increase your fee, okay, this is good. Thank you, Wendy. If you increase your fee amounts for not realizing, and fee, excuse me, let me try again. If you increase your fee amounts, not realizing Medicare owes you more than what our fee is, can we rebuild the claim for additional due to that? Or is it too bad, so sad? <laughs> I'm thinking too bad, so sad, but someone higher above me asked to check with you. Okay, so here's the dilemma. Could you go back and say, I'm going to bill more? You, you, I mean, technically, I suppose you could, but would I know? Because now you're going to have a different or added out of pocket for the patient and they're going to say, what the heck? Also, it, it looks like you are changing it just based on what the reimbursement was and not actually what the expense was to your practice. So move on and then say, okay, we're actually going to do a complete overhaul of our fees. And I know practices forget to do that every year. You need to do it every year and base it on either Medicare or your, your other contracts, whatever you want to base it on and percentage of thereof. But once you've already been paid for something, it's not good practice to go back and say, I'm going to try to bill more because I saw they paid us more. That is terrible practice. So don't do that. Number eight, can you clarify if we are using the 95 modifier or 99441 to 443, the telephone audio only codes? In one article you wrote on 19 from your site, you said not to use it. And it's inappropriate, but a NAMIS article that you also wrote said to use it. Yeah, I apologize for that, the NAMIS article. Um, I asked them to take that off. It, it was an edit. I didn't get a take out of there. For 2024, you don't need the 95 modifier. Okay, so 95 modifier was during PHE through the end of last year. And because that modifier says audio and video, it would be inappropriate to use that even for Medicare. And we're getting payment parity on phone calls anyway to 99212 to 99214. And also remember, now we're deferring to what it says in the CBT book. And so only codes listed 
in Appendix P, as in Paul, would have the 95 modifier, and then the 93 modifier would be what's in Appendix T, and the phone call codes aren't on there because they already have audio only in their decode descriptor. So yeah, don't put the 95 modifier on that, and I'll try to update that NAMIS article. Number nine, have you seen or heard about billing for waterproof casts, orthopedic specialty? To be specific, Delta Dry, Stockinet, and Gore-Tex padding. And the fiberglass ca cast tape goes over that. If so, what codes? So there's no specific codes, only the unlisted Hix-Pix code, Q4050 and Q4051 for cast supplies for unlisted types and materials of casts. And that is also maintained by CMS. And it falls under cast and splint cup supplies. So the follow-up question was, would you need then two codes, one for fiberglass, Q4010, and then um, one for the waterproof supplies, Q4050? Yes, you would, but you also need to make sure that the patient signs an ABN because I would say you're going to get a denial for that extra supply, and the patient then will be responsible for payment. Remember, just because a code exists doesn't mean they have to pay it. So it's, it's really more for patient convenience, and it's helpful. And the last one, number 10, can you tell me if it's okay for me to code 99204, a new patient visit for a patient that is being seen for the first time in the office, but had an echo done the day before in the hospital setting, and our doctor read it and did the formal interpretation. Is that now an established patient, or can we still keep our new patient visit? So this comes up every once in a while, and actually Medicare updated their position on this to give examples, but it's really easy to find page four in your 2024 CPT book. So solely for the purposes of distinguishing between new and established patients, professional services, so that would be the echo and TERP, are those face-to-face -face services rendered by a physician and other qualified healthcare professionals who may report E&M e services. So echo interpretation is not face-to-face. -face. If it was a stress test and your doctor had to be there to monitor a treadmill or the pharmacological stress, then yes, that patient is now going to be established coming back to your office. But an echo, that's usually uh, the technical portion is done by the tech in the hospital and then the, it, it's sent over for the physician to read and interpret. So when they come in the office with their echo, they're still considered a new patient. So that's what you're looking for. Did the patient have a face-to-face -face with anyone in your practice, same or subspecialty, within the past three years? And if the answer is no, and it was just a professional service that was non-face-to-face, then you can keep your new patient visit. I know that's a tough one because that comes up every once in a while. So my personal tidbit this week is actually kind of a funny story. I was doing a podcast, and you know I have several of them. This is the CodeCast is my main one. But I was on the Compliance Guy podcast with Sean Weiss and the panel for um, the coding roundtable, and there's there's six of us. And Christine Hall, who's on there with me, she got me a gift last year. It was very sweet, but it was really kind of a funny gift. And it's this clay pot with a cork in it that says... <laughs> ashes of problem clients okay we all have them we know and I couldn't stop laughing well apparently I had it behind me and so a couple of my clients were listening to the podcast and I started watching it and I got a bunch of emails after the fact going are our ashes in there are, are you mad at us so I'm not mad at anyone it was just really funny I'm just saying that there are some days that you might find yourself in that pot. So <laughs> just make sure you're always trying to at least do the right thing and not just motivated by money. Because once you start getting motivated just by money, not by patient care, not by doing what's best practices doing, but what you can get around, you, nothing good comes of that. You know, I used to tell my daughter that when 
she was younger and, you know, she would say something to the effect of, you know, why can't I go out with my friends past midnight? Nothing good happens after midnight, nothing. And she was a great kid and never, ever defied that. That was our, that was our curfew. And I think the same thing kind of applies in the same kind of concept when I talk to my providers and it's just like, you know, nothing good comes of it if you try to get around the system. So that's what we're here for to make sure that doesn't happen and make sure that you're compliant. Also, hopefully some of you today are attending my um, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I have a telehealth uh, live webinar with McVeigh Seminars. So take a look, McVeighSeminars.com, and hopefully uh, you got in just in time to hear that. I'll have another one next month. And I actually am going to have a surprise announcement uh, at the end of the, at the at probably the, around the end of the summer for something that's a, a big project that I'm involved in that I think everyone's going to be really excited about. So everyone, make it a really great day and a great week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>